Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're starting a brand new week here on Political Rewind, and I'm glad you're all with us. I'm Bill Nygut. We're going to begin today uh, the same way we ended with our special live show on Friday afternoon, right after we heard the ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court on Roe. Uh, And so that continues to uh, dominate headlines, uh, and especially here in Georgia. It's a very important story uh, because we have a pending law that could soon uh, virtually outlaw abortion for all but a very small group of women in the state. So we're going to want to talk about that, specifically what's happening in Georgia. Then I want to talk to this panel about the larger implications of the court's ruling and how they arrived at that ruling, whether uh, their reasoning seems sound to some people or not, we'll discuss, uh, and much more on this show. And you know what? We just happen to have the perfect panel to talk about all this and more today, starting with my partner from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Monday's political reporter and columnist, uh, Patricia Murphy. Patricia, what a time to be a political journalist. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I had already filed my column on Thursday about the January 6th hearings and just how incredible everything was that we learned. Also on Friday, uh, the uh, House and Senate finalized that deal on gun safety, the first in nearly three decades. And none of that seemed even particularly relevant after we saw um, the decision on Roe v. Wade from the Supreme Court. Those other things are very relevant, but in terms of just the magnitude of uh, the implications of what happened on Friday, I think we are all still scrambling to really figure out what it all means. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And we'll be all be trying to wrap our arms around this for some time to come, I think. We're also joined today by State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, Democratic State Representative, who is an attorney. And Mary Margaret, I think it's safe to say that a good portion of your career in public life and in your practice has been concerned about the welfare of young people uh, in the state of Georgia. And certainly this ruling, uh, many people believe, are gonna, is going to have an impact on their health and safety. Thank you for the compliment of being concerned about women and children. In my early years, in my 20s, I was reproductive health litigation. And it was, uh, I remember those days very well where I could walk into a courtroom, even as a brand new lawyer that didn't know a lot, and get the respect of a judge based on what the case law said. And uh, my respect for the Supreme Court now is in a different place than it was when I was an idealistic young lawyer. I think they've lost all institutional integrity, in my view. Um, We should also point out something we haven't really mentioned, I don't think, ever on the show. You were among the first uh, young women uh, to be uh, in an Emory Law School uh, law class, yes? Uh, When There were were about a dozen women uh, in law school when I was there. And uh, less than 10 percent, but it grew very, very quickly when I left. It's half or slightly over now. Well, we're really glad we have you uh, here today. Leo Smith uh, is back with us today. Uh, Leo uh, is a Republican uh, political consultant, did a lot of work for the Republican State Party uh, until he moved on to form Engaged Futures, his government affairs uh, firm. But Leo... Today, we have to add one way of introducing you. You said to us before the show, you're just back from South Carolina, where your son, who plays for the Smyrna Slammers, won the Southeast Regional Baseball Tournament, right? Yes, Yes. it's it's our end-of-season activity. And on the way back, my son and I had incredible conversations about reason and conscience and uh, violence or logic in government. So uh, very, he came right off of baseball and right into a, a game uh, with me about politics. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. We're also joined by Chuck Cook. Chuck Cook is one of the best known and most highly respected immigration attorneys 
uh, in the country and uh, certainly here in Georgia. Uh, but, Chuck, we're glad to have your legal expertise as part of this conversation uh, today as well. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again for the invite, Bill. I sure appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Patricia, let's start with the most practical uh, issues that Georgians are facing um, <clears throat> as a result of the decision uh, released on Friday. Um, we have a fetal heartbeat law that went through uh, the court, the federal district court in 2020. Steve Jones, Judge Steve Jones, uh, ruled that the law was uh, uh, um, contrary to the United States Constitution. It didn't provide the constitutional protections that we thought Roe enjoyed. Um, it went up to the, uh, a three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court, and they suspended it. They said, we're going to wait and see what happens with Roe in the Supreme Court. All that said, on Friday, Attorney General Chris Carr uh, wrote a letter to the panel, uh, the, the appeals panel, and said, it's time to act on this law. So it's only a matter of time before we find out whether the fetal heartbeat law is going to be in effect sooner rather than later. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. And Chris Carr said that he believes now with the decision of Roe v. Wade really changing what it means to have constitutional protections for abortion and eliminating the concept of those constitutional protections, Carr said that he believes that HB 481 is constitutionally sound and should be implemented as soon as possible. Um, he has the support of Governor Kemp. Um, and I think that uh, uh all signs to us are that that would be implemented fairly quickly, although I think that Mary Margaret Oliver would know better than I on the legal um, sort of framework and what's next specifically, especially in terms of appeals or any way to, um, to request uh, a slower process or to stop that process. Mary Margaret? We may remember that Governor Kemp wanted to pass a trigger bill in 2019, mm -hmm. which would revert to um, previous law when Roe v. Wade was reversed. What happened, though, is that uh, the, the more very conservative right wing of the General Assembly took charge and said, trigger law is not good enough. We want a stronger law. And they created a, an unusual set of issues in uh, what they call the heartbeat bill in 481, the issue of personhood of an embryo uh, is outside what the court did on Friday. So I think the 11th Circuit is going to have to decide, are we going to have hearings to decide really what is going on here in Georgia and its unique statutes directly before the court? And if the federal, if the 11th Circuit, we're kind of predicting in, in new territory now, so we really don't know. But if they say they dismiss challenge to 41 and say Georgia's heartbeat bill is legal, which I don't think they'll do, there'll be immediate initiation of litigation in state court. You may remember that Georgia has a different legal history on the issue of privacy. In 1905, uh, the Georgia Supreme Court recognized the right of privacy in Georgia's constitution. That case, the uh, Pastorate case, I might not be pronouncing it correctly, in relation to the release of a photograph un without permission of a person uh, in the facts of that case, the Supreme Court says there's this constitutional right to privacy under our Constitution. And uh, that case has been affirmed 209 times at least. So we have a total set, different set of issues to discuss about Georgia's law. Okay, Mary Margaret, and then I want to get the rest of the panel in again, but, but, but you said a few things that I think are really important to go back on you on and to ask you about. Number one, are you, is, it, is it possible for the 11th Circuit, the Court of Appeals, to separate, to sever the personhood section uh, from the law, that a fetus is a person and has all the rights of a person, from the heartbeat aspect of the law? Can they say... Can they take them apart and rule on one and, and say the other uh, isn't, isn't in our, our purview up for debate right now? I don't know how that works. It's complicated, and I think the 11th Circuit could return the case <laughs> our court back to Judge Jones to say, Judge Jones, you're going to have to figure out the status of Georgia's 481. We're not going to decide 
until you have had a chance to understand it. Or the 11th Circuit could say, Georgia, this is in your ballpark right now. Okay, so are the state court and the state court plaintiffs, plaintiffs are going to initiate their own round of litigation. And we heard in the national news, where I'm listening closely to the national news, all of the states are in chaos right now in 50 different ways. A trigger bill in some ways would have been easier to understand mm -hmm. what the complicated, totally outside the mainstream of any pro-life argument made before the court, the Georgia's 481 uh, was enacted. Chuck, this does get complicated. Uh, but let's go to another aspect of what Mary Margaret, well, first of all, what I'm hearing Margaret Mar Mary Margaret say, Chuck, is that we shouldn't expect quick action, that the trigger, the heartbeat uh, law may not go into effect particularly quickly. We'll see about that. But then I heard her say that per, the, the state's privacy law, which was the entire basis for Roe being decided in the first place, a matter of privacy um, and due process, that 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 gives the uh, pro-choice forces an opportunity to go back and take another bite out of the apple over whether the heartbeat uh, law, in fact, violates Georgia's privacy uh, 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 decisions. You know, Chapter 1, Article 1 of the Georgia Constitution contains that privacy clause. It's literally first. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the state courts handle this which county the case is brought on, I imagine, are probably Fulton County, um, what the Court of Appeals would make up will look like, what the, the, Supreme, the Supreme Court in Georgia, which has basically been appointed by Republicans, how that will look, and how Republicans in the court system will interpret the right to privacy. Um, and, you know, going just briefly back to the Alito decision, um, it, you know, uh, we all, every lawyer studied that Roe versus Wade case. Well, I did because I went to law school after it passed, right? But it was, it's seminal, you know, the right to privacy. So many other rights that, that have been found since Roe rely on the rationale in Roe. Right. Um, and while Justice Alito said, oh, you know, it's just about abortion. Don't worry about all the other stuff <laughs> uh, until you read Justice Thomas's decision, which is said, worry about all the other stuff because we're coming for that uh -huh. next. So I think that's why the state will be so important here and how it's, it's ruled at the state level. But I think that the, this is going to have percussions far beyond uh, abortion at this point. You know, what's interesting about this, Leo, is that there's been a lot of commentary over the weekend about how abrupt this overturning of Roe became. Oh, my, out of nowhere, suddenly a, 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 a ruling that had been in place and a way of life for women for almost half a century was overturned abruptly. What I'm hearing from our lawyers on the panel is things may not happen so quickly in Georgia. There will be time to absorb the next steps in what Georgia will do about women seeking an abortion. You know, I always say a day in politics is like a thousand days, and I think you should always treat politics as though it's urgent, and you really should. And uh, But that's easy for people who work as political professionals to say, because that's our life and earning and our commitment every hour of the day. However, most Americans are worried about paying bills, sending kids <laughs> through the car line at school, taking going to work, sometimes three jobs. You know, they don't pay attention to these things, but political professionals have seen this day coming. I mean, even right or left, I've got political professionals who are progressive liberals who wrote about this day two years ago. And so, you know, the sky has fallen. Um, did we see it coming? Yes. But did the public see it coming? No. That's why we have to remain constantly vigilant, constantly discussing and debating these things in the public, as well as behind those closed doors. Well, I want to get to, in a few minutes, this question of what we think Georgia voters are going to be reacting to more strongly as they consider who they're voting for, whether it's the economic issues of the day uh, or, or whether it's issues like the uh, lack of choice. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we get there, Patricia, I'm hearing all this from the lawyers on the panel. But I think right now, as complicated as it may be, it, it's likely that restriction, even a, a, a more um, dramatic restriction on abortion, is headed our way. Yes, 
I would say yes. I mean, one way or another, this uh, General Assembly uh, right now is Republican. The governor obviously is Republican. Um, the bill that they passed uh, is uh, is out there to be um, kind of dealt with by the courts. Um, but in the meantime, I would also say you can just feel this huge upheaval among women, women's understanding of really who they are in the society, who gets to decide who they are and who gets to decide what choices they make. Um, I really can't overstate how foundational that is to um, more than half of the citizens of this state. <laughs> and so it is, um, there are these sort of parallel conversations happening. There's the legal conversation, the political conversation, and then the conversation in millions of homes across Georgia, women trying to get pregnant, women who are dealing with an unplanned pregnancy, uh, women who are afraid to have an unplanned pregnancy, uh, potentially through rape. You know, what does all of that look like in this state? It, the fact that it's an unknown really scrambles people's understanding of um, really their futures, if I can kind of be that uh, that blatant about it. And so I think there's a lot more to unpack here, other uh, kind of in addition to the legal and political aspects, but those will have a huge well, effect on all of that. Well, Patricia, I am certainly hoping that we can encourage your bosses to uh, 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 commit, conduct a poll on how Georgians are responding to uh, Roe as soon as possible. Until we get that, Mary Margaret, we do have uh, some polls that have already been uh, done in the aftermath of the Roe decision. CBS uh, conducted a poll over the weekend, and here's what they found, that in general, more Americans disapprove of this decision than approve. 41%, that's all people, uh, say they approve. 59% disapprove. 33% 33% of women approve, and almost 70% uh, disapprove. 52% say that this ruling is a step backward. 31% say somehow it's a step forward. And whether this makes women's lives better or worse, 56% say it will make women's lives worse. Now, that's national. That's not Georgia. But I don't imagine that the results here would look a whole lot different in terms of disapproval of of uh, giving up Roe completely. I think the polling has been consistent prior to the decision. We'll see if it shifts in a way after the decision. Is is whether or not you have children in a family a kitchen table issue that concerns people there? I think the answer clearly is yes. Uh, when you, if you're a woman out there of childbearing age and you have not been successful in getting pregnant and you've invested tens of thousands of dollars in in vitro fertilization that is all a total legal question right now, that's a kitchen table issue. If you are the parent of a teenager who's gone off to college and comes up pregnant, that is a kitchen table. I don't know exactly how this is going to proceed in terms of political response, but let me go back to a couple of legal issues that are just making me crazy. The state Senate passed a bill that said you can't have a, quote, morning after pill. The medicine in the 50 years since Roe v. Wade has changed. Uh, The treatment for unwanted pregnancies now is more, I don't know what percentage, but it's significant, is the prescription that is safer, that is legal, that is less damage to your body, and the state Senate of Georgia passed a bill that says they want to outlaw that. Clarence Thomas says he wants to look at the issues that protect the privacy of contraception, not only uh, the issue of, of gay marriage. The dramatic kind of rhetoric that's going to come from the far right, like saying your prescription for a very, very early pregnancy is going to be illegal, is is a kitchen table issue. The complications of 481 are unique. I think the court will not be dismissive of those legal issues. And the Georgia constitutional right of privacy is essential and is, Leo, a kitchen table issue. Um, Leo, uh, I want to pick up on one aspect, particularly of what Mary Margaret just talked about. Um, And that is we already have Republicans in the Georgia legislature 
saying, well, the heartbeat uh, law, we're going to be glad to see that go into effect, but it's not enough. We need to outlaw the abortion uh, pill here, which FDA has approved, by the way, and which the Biden administration said can be sent out to women across the country without having to have a doctor's appointment. Now, now the abortion pill uh, measure that the Senate passed, we should quickly point out, didn't get through the House. They put it aside. But, Leo, there's already pressure. National Right to Life, with their convention here this weekend, already began demanding that states like Georgia uh, go even further in uh, their abortion restrictions. And that's going to put enormous pressure on uh, Republicans in states like this. The political atmosphere, the theater that we're in, is exactly that, is theater. Sometimes things are being presented right now to appeal to a far-right constituency that's been mobilized and animated, um, even to violence, as we know. And that means that the political maneuvers that are sometimes performative, but also to be taken seriously, as we can see, because that performance to just get attention, to raise money, to get votes, that performance can actually take traction get past, and then someone says, oops, wow, you know, we this actually happened. And that is going to be something we have to pay attention to. But Mary Margaret, you know, kitchen table is the things that we talk about that, you know, putting it where the goats can get it, that we kind of all just understand. But this stuff is complicated, as Chuck and others have, 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 have talked about, and we tend to avoid super complicated things at the kitchen table. I mean, carry versus population serves, uh, and stop versus barred. I mean, Americans don't talk about that kind of stuff at the kitchen table. Griswold versus Connecticut. You know, so this isn't kitchen table, and our education system is part of that failure, um, and our civic engagement from political operatives who don't educate people about policy is part of that failure. Uh, but, Chuck, it's it's up to political. Uh, it's up to the candidates, up to the parties to uh, lay these issues out as clearly as they want to. Um, as Patricia points out, uh, this ruling uh, essentially says Democrats will argue says women, you no longer have control over your own body or what decisions you want to make about your own body. I mean, let's face it. That's that is not a complicated issue for Democrats to put forward in the elections uh, season. You know, Bill, one of the things in the poll you were talking about, if you go a little bit further down, it's by age group, and uh, it said, um, did you anticipate road changing? And the youngest group in there said, no, it's not going to change. You know, like 20% of it was going to change. And all of a sudden it changed. That's the kind of thing that wakes people up politically uh, and will get them concerned and angry. Uh, this whole incident, this whole case reminds me of the, the, the old Far Side cartoon where the dog actually catches the car. Right. And what do you do now? I mean, the Dobbs case, the, 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 the case that struck down the Roe case, is out of Mississippi. So is Georgia's political goal now to be like Mississippi? Probably not the best example to follow if you're in politics. But the, ops, the, uh, the extra side of this, if you keep moving to complete bans, do we fill up our state prisons with uh, single women uh, who've taken an abortion pill? Because when it made it, it's illegal, that's a crime, and crimes have punishment. How long do you, do you have a special prison for women that have had abortion? Um, do you have a special prison for men who cause abortions in women? Um, and what about the economic fallout of this? If you, if you think back to the, the six-week heartbeat bill, the film, the film industry was a little upset about this. Um, and now you want to have a complete bet. I think there's going to be massive economic consequence, which may stop the state legislature from going further. I guess we'll see. You know, Patricia, every time we, we begin one thread of conversation, it raises four or five more <laughs> threads. So I'm going to try to keep things a little focused here. And let me ask you what you imagine we're going to see uh, in terms of Republican legislators under pressure to take things a step further. We've got a gubernatorial, you know, we've already had a couple calls for a special session because nobody knows for sure who's going to be the governor by the time we have a session next January. If it's Stacey Abrams, Republicans will have lost whatever those 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 Republicans who really want to go further and ban abortion outright uh, will have lost a chance to do it. So where does this stand with whatever effort might happen to push this even further? The governor so far has said, no, no, we're sticking with just getting heartbeat uh, into effect. 
Yeah, and that certainly is the governor's position, but he and other Republican legislators are being pushed by uh, conservative groups um, to your point, to push this further while they can. They have the numbers now. They may not have those numbers in January. They may not have the governor in January. And that could be uh, all of this entire conversation could drive those decisions among voters. And so um, especially for uh, anti-abortion groups, uh, in their viewing, life begins at conception, and a six-week ban is not enough. And if it begins at, a con- at conception, we're talking about um, embryos, uh, uh, for, uh, fertilized eggs uh, at any stage. And so um, uh, when you look at uh, the Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate race in particular, I think that's the, the best example of the most specific views. Herschel Walker has said he is looking for a total ban on abortion, mm-hmm. in his words, from womb to tomb. Um, that is, there are no exceptions for rape, no exceptions for incest, um, no exceptions for the health or of the um, of the mother uh, in that case. And so um, Raphael Warnock obviously has a different position and calls himself a pro-choice pastor. But I think on the Republican side, it is less and less unusual to hear Republicans calling for a total ban on abortion. I think we'll hear about that more. I know that uh, lawmakers are hearing about that more. Um, and I think it's uh, this is a space that is still to be determined. But the push continues from the far right. Absolutely. Leo, real quick. No, I mean, so, again, Herschel Walker is a political candidate being fed rhetoric to say. So I want to make that clear, whereas Chris Carr is an attorney general, whereas uh, Ed Sessler, who sponsored HB 481, uh, he, he is a state legislator. So listening to them is more important than listening to Herschel Walker on these particular issues. Um, so and what are they saying? They're saying that, yes, we want a full effect of this HB 481, but they're also saying that we don't want women harmed. And those men are saying that, and I think they're serious in those statements. I do think uh, that Patricia, Republicans we... will be... I'm sorry, I think Republicans will be pushed to match Walker. Herschel Walker is one of the most popular Republicans in this state. They'll be pushed to the right by Republicans who are voicing those opinions. And there may be more nuance at different levels. Um, But again, nuance doesn't really play in elections. It is those hard, strident views, stark choices to give voters to make. And so, although you're right, the governor is not pushing for that. He has people in his ear and certainly in his, uh, in Republican lawmakers' ears, uh, giving them kind of a, a, a more extreme version of what's happening now. Uh, I've got to get to a break. Uh, we'll continue this conversation and add some more layers to it as we move forward uh, right after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, Attorney Chuck Cook, uh, Republican strategist and president of Engage Futures, Leo Smith, and AJC reporter and columnist. You read her column on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. And uh, she oversees the jolt, which is at AJC.com every day. Um, All right, Patricia, let's talk about it in terms of campaigns coming up. Uh, what it and, and you start this, and then everybody needs to get involved in this. How does this reset in some ways uh, the races you mentioned, the Senate race a moment ago, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock? What about the governor's race? Uh, what about races like the AG Attorney General's uh, race and legislative races? So I think voters certainly knew where all of these candidates stood on the on their position on abortion, on abortion access. None of those positions were a mystery, but I do think this vaults that topic higher in the list of priorities for a number of voters. Um, I think that Leo is exactly right, and especially a week ago, I would have said 100% right, that people are voting on gas prices, grocery prices, 
um, how incredibly difficult it is to adjust to inflation right now with no particular end in sight. I mean, I think you could feel that driving voter conversations and the voters we talked to. But when this decision came out on Friday, I mean, that is an existential issue for a number of voters who had never considered that as a possibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that Chuck's uh, point of view or his pointing us to uh, the poll results that younger voters didn't really think this was going to happen, that they just took it for granted. And so this now just scrambles those dynamics. Um, the candidates we have now are presenting really stark choices. The governor is very clearly pushing uh, to implement this six-week ban. Stacey Abrams, on the exact opposite of that over the weekend, said she believes this will be law within days. I don't know that that's the case, um, but also said it is wrong, that it is um, sinister, and that it, when she is governor, she will work to reverse it immediately. So these are stark choices. I do think the attorney general's race also vaults up in the consciousness of Georgians. What does it even mean to be attorney general? You know, most people don't focus on that specifically. It's just like down the ballot race, just check the box. Now this gives you two stark choices, a man who is pushing to implement that bill actively as the Attorney General of Georgia, and a woman who is stepping into that having had seven miscarriages, spoken about that on the floor of the state Senate, and talked about her just extreme anxiety and concern over what this does to women's lives. And so we have really two totally different versions of the future based on this ballot in November. Mary Margaret? Jen Jernan would be a wonderful attorney general. And in the context of this debate, Patricia, you're absolutely right. She would be a fascinating voice. She represents privileged women who have had the opportunity to have good health care and to participate in the, the kinds of things that are offered to women of privilege of in vitro fertilization and, and different ways to family build. Um, and the other, but she's also going to be thoughtful, as I think Stacey Abrams is going to be thoughtful. What is the state's responsibility if there are 30,000 unwanted children born in 2023? What's the state's responsibility? In a state that has not extended Medicaid, in a state that has eliminated all the teenage specialty clinics, uh, family planning clinics, in a state that has terrible statistics, whether we're 47th, 48th, it is not that relevant to me, we have terrible statistics on health care for poor women, young women, poor women, particularly minority women. What's the state's responsibility if there are 30,000 unwanted children? So, Leo, there you hear it. Obviously, that's going to be the Democratic argument going through into November. What do Republicans say in return? Well, one is they're going to say that they are going to protect women's health, and that's what, uh, you know, the AG uh, Chris Carr is saying. Uh, Cecily is saying that that is a priority. That, But they're also saying that this law, 481, which could take effect, as I, I agree with Stacey Abrams on this, it could be this week, and uh, it could be. Um, and so they're saying that, too, and that the physicians will be held accountable to the law. Um, less so than the women making the choices and seeking advice on health care. Uh, so this is a real issue that folks are going to have to deal with. But Republicans always say, look, if you want smaller government, if you want a less interfering government, you have to be bigger people. And here the Republicans are, the Christian right, et cetera. Um, we're going to have to say, are we willing to make sure families and health can exist together and the right to self-determination and privacy and choice is something that can be done in, with these laws if it becomes the law of the land in Georgia. Well, Chuck, I don't see how self-determination and right to choice fit into this argument at all, but your turn, Chuck. <laughs> no, I, I don't see that either. I, I found it entertaining to say that Chris Carr is going to make sure that women have their, their great medical care, but he's suing to get rid of Obamacare. I, I don't know how he can you know, put those things, things on the same page in his brain. But Leo, you brought up a good point. Doctors, this law is intended to intimidate doctors. So doctors will go to prison for doing abortions. Doctors will go to prison for prescribing medication. So we are basically going to recreate the Underground Railroad. 
um, and so several states that, that have uh, more liberal laws on privacy and abortion have said, come on up here. We will not cooperate with, uh, with states uh, like Mississippi or perhaps Georgia who want to put women in prison for uh, the, taking care of their own health in ways that benefit them long term. Uh, these are things, again, you, the dog got the car. What do you do? There is no plan. There was no plan post row. There's no plan. My wife worked in adoption services for years. There's no state adoption process that's effective in any way. Uh, there's no the child care issues are massive. Uh, people are going to lose jobs over this. Are we going to start DNA testing all babies when they're born so we can go to the father and immediately get uh, support for that child if, if it's not in the house? These are all things that I don't hear Republicans talking about, but are going to have to happen uh, if they decide to win abortion in Georgia. So um, I'd like to talk for a few minutes before moving on to a couple more uh, topics uh, about the f- reactions to how the Supreme Court reached its ruling in this. There are those who believe the court, Patricia, has now lost all credibility, that it has shown itself to be a pure political body just waiting for the opportunity uh, with especially the three justices uh, nominated and approved by uh, President, uh, former President Trump. But I want to read you a, a response from the Wall Street Journal, just brief a part of the editorial they published over the weekend. Um, they say these attacks on the court are part of a concerted campaign to undermine the legitimacy of American institutions and norms in the Constitution itself. The court's most vociferous critics either don't understand the court's proper role or reject it. In fact, Dobbs imposes no policy. It simply states that abortion is not among the individual rights protected by the federal constitution. And they go on to say that it was in 1973 when the court uh, issued the, the, uh, the decision in Roe uh, that they were the ones, as uh, Justice Alito described it in his uh, opinion, uh, made an egregious uh, mistake. Uh, it's interesting to hear that point of view. Um, and I'm, I'd just like to get, starting with you, get everybody to react to it. Yeah, I have heard, um, I, I read that. I've also heard Republicans stress that this does not ban abortion. Um, I've heard a number of Republicans add that um, to say there, there's no policy in this. This is just sending it back to the states. But, of course, it does eliminate a protection. And so then that means that uh, this sends that what was once a protection back to sort of the political um, firestorms of state uh, legislatures and governors and make, turns it into what was once a constitutional issue, now a political issue. And I think that because politics right now are so wildly divisive. First of all, this, I think, ratchets that up significantly, um, but it also puts it in a sphere where it feels like it is going to be decided um, by forces outside of people's control, and it's no longer a part of a freedom that you are born with for women. And so I think that is a real, it really changes people's understanding of um, not just the Supreme Court, but even of the Constitution. You know, there's a, the part um, in Justice Alito's finding that uh, there's no mention of abortion in the Constitution. There's also no mention of women in the Constitution. <laughs> so you have to really go back and wonder uh, what is the relationship of that document to half of the citizens of this country right now. Um, so I think uh, that I'll leave it at that. But I think the politics of this are going to be really explosive. And I think we'll look back on this uh, period of time as as one of great change, although I don't know what direction it's going to be going in. Uh, Chuck, I want to bring you in, but in doing so, I want to read you the other side of this argument, a a piece that Linda Greenhouse wrote for the New York Times, the brilliant uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, analyst uh, over the years. And here's what she said in her column in in response to Roe. They did it because they could. It was as simple as that. With the stroke of a pen, Justice Alito and four other justices, all chosen by Republican presidents running on successive party platforms committed to overturning Roe v. Wade, erased the constitutional right to reproductive autonomy that the Supreme Court recognized more than 49 years ago. She says, as the dissenting opinion observed, never before had the court rescinded an individual right and left it up to the states whether to respect what had been once anchored in the Constitution. Chuck? 
Uh, I was about to mention that the Supreme Court's never taken a right away before. Uh, the, the closest one that I can think of is the Dred Scott decision, uh, which was seeking a right uh, for black men and women in America. Uh, it, uh, I think the, the biggest loser besides women in this decision is Chief Justice Roberts, who has yeah. quite clearly lost mm. control of this court um, and no longer has the ability to sway the court one or the other. He didn't want to get rid of Roe. Um, he wanted to limit, obviously, some rights, but he didn't want to get rid of Roe. Um, and, I, at, you know, to top it all off, I'm sure Susan Collins is very concerned at this point uh, about uh, where, where this is going. But to bring up the politics of this, every president, Donald Trump even said this, find me justices that will overturn Roe. This is, this is all done for this specific reason. Um, but, again, with no plan about what happens next. I mean, leave it up to the states. States start doing and they might be the laboratory of democracy, but there are lots of crazy people in the state legislatures, too, around the country that will get lots of crazy stuff passed that's going to keep the courts occupied for years. Mary Margaret? I really hate that I'm saying this, and I hate that I believe this. The United States Supreme Court is an arm of the Republican Party. Just ask Mitch McConnell and Jenny Thomas if that's true. The politics, the politics of Alito and Clarence Thomas are devastating to women. Women, My mother, when my mother was born, she was not allowed to vote. That's how recent it is that women were not allowed to vote, that they were property of a family. The idea that Alito and Clarence Thomas can talk about the constitutional original theory and the history of, of the court's recognition of Abortion didn't exist because women didn't exist. I mean, the idea that the United States Supreme Court can look at the history of the courts to women as a support for eliminating protection for women is really, really appalling to me. We are in a very, very bad state right now, and the political discussion is going to exacerbate down to younger women. This is my prediction. I can't really predict what the court will do, 11th Circuit. But younger women are going to understand now that the Republican Party platform does not recognize women as a part of the United States history. Leo, why is it a bad thing to give it to the states to decide whether women should have the right to an abortion? Well, it's a bad thing because right now it's created confusion, fear, uh, distrust, and, and rightful concern because people haven't been engaged enough at the state level. You know, once upon a time we used to say all politics are local. And then all of a sudden social media and, you know, hype campaigns made all politics, all politics national. But now the Supreme Court has made a decision that is forced local politics and local engagement again. Some states and some activists were very involved in trying to make sure that abortion rights were protected at the state level and they were doing their work. Some was sort of waxing poetically about things happening in Congress and they were ignoring how to create advocacy, debate, ideas, reason. Um, all of that was being ignored at the local level. Georgians are going to have to get engaged locally, get involved in policy groups, become activists to advocate, to lobbyists, to legislator, whatever, at that scale. We're going to have to now make it local. And you can't not be well, engaged. You get into politics or politics get into you. I, I, I got to get to a break, the final break of the show. But it, it's interesting. I, I asked you that question, Leo, because I was wanted to hear what the Republican answer to what Mary Margaret has been saying was going to be. And in fact, um, I think it's safe to say that um, what you're really saying is it's now up to the voters of the state to get engaged and make decisions about who they want uh, to represent them, which I think is an interesting way to approach it. Let's get to our final break of the show. We'll have more in a minute. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.
Why don't we uh, turn to another subject for the last few minutes of the show? We will continue talking, of course, about the fallout from the Supreme Court decision on Friday all week. There's no way we can't. But, Patricia, you made an interesting point at the top of the show. Uh, You said that the the revelations in the January 6th committee uh, last week about the ways that uh, Trump tried to pervert the Department of Justice uh, have gone to the wayside. Even, you know, the the uh, uh, the signing of the new gun bill that puts certain restrictions on on how people can make use of guns has gone to the wayside. But I want to pick up one uh, thing that you wrote about uh, late last week, and that is the significance of the fact that Governor Kemp has been called to testify in front of Fonnie Willis's special grand jury investigating Trump's potential criminal wrongdoing in interfering with the election. Why do you say that it's important that Kemp be a call to testify? Well, so much of what we uh, know about what's happened here in Georgia and what did happen after the 2020 elections, I mean, a lot of that is already public because uh, the call between the president and Secretary of State Raffensperger uh, was made public almost immediately. We've heard public testimony from Raffensperger. We've heard um, Donald Trump's, uh, I guess, objections and uh, what, what are his version of events. But one person we know he leaned on heavily was Governor Brian Kemp. And Kemp has said almost nothing about what went on between him and the president, what did the president ask him to do, and how many how many times did he reach out? Was he threatened? Um, we know the tone of what the president said to Raffensperger, um, but we just don't know a whole lot about what went on between those two. And so I think that we know the amount of fear that Trump has against Kemp has a reason. And Kemp knows the reason, and so he will be testifying before the grand jury, and a lot of that will come to light in that sworn testimony. Um, Of course, Chuck, it'll be secret testimony. We are not expecting to get a lot out of it uh, made public. Certainly, eventually it will. Eventually, we'll probably know what Kemp had to say. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting, Chuck. It it strikes me that the January 6th committee uh, made a very smart decision. They decided to suspend their hearings for two weeks, understanding that we were getting close midweek last week to the Supreme Court, ruling on Roe. Um, But what's interesting about all this, especially because George is at the heart of so much of it, is um, will the momentum that the committee has picked up that Fonnie Willis is trying to take advantage of, can you get it back? And can you bring that back to uh, the attention of Georgia voters, American voters in the months ahead, or has Roe eclipsed it completely? I think they've got three or four more sessions left. I think people will jump right back into it after the July 4th weekend. And I, I, at the end of the day, they haven't given us a lot still. There's a lot of information they have not shared yet about what happened behind the scenes on January 6th and, and what happened afterwards. Uh, I think people continue to be riveted to that. Uh, it will continue to be carried by the major networks uh, and certainly the cable networks, most of them at least, uh, during the daytime. And I think uh, at the end of the day, this will not turn out well for Donald Trump, obviously. But I think Brian Kemp has got to be very concerned if Fonnie Willis uses his testimony in an ultimate prosecution before the election, uh, because yeah. that will be devastating to Brian Kemp in Georgia for election chances. Mer- yeah, Leo, I do think that that's an issue. Uh, but Fonnie Willis, I think, is trying hard not to politicize uh, uh, her special grand jury, right? Leo? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that she is trying not to politicize it. I think there's been precedent set in the New York uh, case with the attorney general. They are certainly politicizing and timing things accordingly. I think Kemp really has made a statement already. I think it's a statement that actually buttresses Kemp as a pro-law and order, pro-democracy uh, Republican, even in these times. Um, he made it clear, uh, quote, this is not an option under federal law to overturn this the, you know, this, this election, uh, to choose different electors. The statute is clear. So I think that Kemp in a hearing uh, here in Georgia actually will, will actually raise his profile in a general. Mary Margaret? I'm thinking about those folks in the seat of the jury seats. Uh, those are, are 
Fulton County citizens. Uh, my experience with Fulton County juries, regular juries, is all very positive in terms of they represent truly uh, the Fulton County voters. Uh, they're going to be listening to what the governor of the state says, if he, assumingly, uh, is interesting to know, but I assume he will say that he got phone calls from President Trump and that he was pressured to do X, Y, and Z. I think that it is a secret proceeding. The opportunity to for Fannie Willis to issue an, uh, criminal charges is something we don't know yet. It might not come, will it come to fruition before November is the question I'm asking myself. But his testimony right, um, is impactful to go- the voters of Fulton County. I apologize. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. We're just about out of time. Patricia, we should point out that the Supreme Court, you know, their term isn't over yet. They've still got some pretty significant <laughs> rulings uh, to put out. One will determine, could make a big impact on whether the Environmental Protection Agency really has the power to issue rulings without the consent of Congress. Another, Chuck Cook, on immigration. Quickly, Chuck, what very quickly, you got about 20 seconds to tell us what they're going to decide in there what the question is. Uh, there, the question is whether the Biden administration can change a policy of the Trump administration on sending people back to Mexico to wait for their asylum hearings there. And, and then finally, Patricia, a religious freedom case uh, is uh, pending in front of the court too, right? Yeah. And we know the Supreme Court is not afraid to set precedent and make waves. So <laughs> I don't, they may not be done yet. <laughs> All right. That's it. We are completely out of time. Thank you all for a really, really uh, smart and interesting conversation. Uh, Leo Smith, Chuck Cook, Mary Margaret Oliver, uh, Patricia Murphy. Uh, It was just great having you all on the show on a very important day in political news for the country and the state of Georgia. Uh, That's it for us today. Um, I want to thank Chase McGee, Natalie Mendenhall, Uh, Jay Cook for their work behind the scenes on putting this show together. We'll all be back with another Political Rewind uh, tomorrow. And uh, in the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care and stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody.